This is Joshua Bell with the Kilt and the Cloth. This was my sermon from October 18th. I hope you enjoyed it. This morning, my scripture is taken from Matthew chapter 15. No, I'm sorry. Matthew chapter 22, verses 15 through 22. If you'd like to follow along as I read aloud, it's found in your pew Bibles on page 23 or it's on the screens. <clears throat> then the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap him in what he said. So they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with truth and show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Then he said to them, Whose head is this? Whose title? They answered, The emperor, or Caesar's. Then he said to them, Give therefore to the emperor of the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, and they left him and went away. May God bless the reading of God's holy scripture. Amen. Now, I know I made a promise to you not too many weeks ago that I was not going to be talking about the political campaigns or anything that had to do with the elections, and I'm not. I'm just warning you now that it's just the theme worked really well talking about the politics of the first century. So I want to talk about this a little bit before we get into it. First off, you have this beginning of the story where the Pharisees and the Herodians are obviously trying to get him in trouble. And what you didn't read is, is right before this, there's this really ambiguous parable that the, this king invites all these people to a wedding feast. And what we always remember from the wedding feast is actually what we read in the Gospel of Luke. In, the, in the, the story of the wedding feast in the Gospel of Luke, this king has invited all these people to this wedding feast, these friends and these family, and they all decline the invitation. So what does the king do? Well, the king goes out into the streets and he sends his slaves to go get all these people and bring them to the feast. And there's this beautiful story in the Gospel of Luke of how that takes place. Except in Matthew, it's not pretty. The messengers that go out into the, to invite the people, the friends and family, what ends up happening is, is the friends and family or the people that he's inviting end up killing the servants. So what does the king do? The king sends out people to kill them. And then with the remaining slaves, he sends the slaves out into the streets to invite anybody that wants to come. And it says this very, very adamantly, the good and the bad were welcome to this feast. 
Well, you think, well, that's a beautiful story. Oh, no. Matthew doesn't leave it there. What he ends up doing is he says, and then there was somebody that was there that was obviously not supposed to be there. So he has him bound, cast out of the party, and thrown out into the outer darkness. And the idea is, is that he ends up dying. He, death, like murdered. And then the Pharisees come with this story. You see, the part that's hard for us is that we tend to think, and we have a tendency to automatically think when Matthew says king, that he's talking about God. It's a good, it's a good way to do it. Matthew does that really well. But in this case, I don't think so. Look at the way the story happens. The Pharisees come with the Herodians, which nobody likes, because they're not really Jewish. They're not really Roman, but they're in charge. So the Herodians and the Pharisees come to test Jesus. And of course, what's he going to test them with? What are they going to test him with? The one thing that means more to any of us than we want to admit. Money. And not just any kind of money. The taxes. Now, as I told my Sunday school class, it was... Not something that you really wanted to argue with, because if you said that you should not pay your taxes to Caesar, then you were automatically arrested and killed, because you're, you know, you're an insurrectionist. If you said, well, you're supposed to uh, pay your taxes and do it this way, accordingly to the Torah, then you'd be okay. But what Jesus says is really fascinating. He even names and claims the stuff that's going on. Well, whose face is on that coin? Well, it's, it's the emperor. It's Caesar. Well, then why are you asking me? You can hear him getting frustrated. You have to give to Caesar what's Caesar's. You don't have a choice about that. But you have to give to God what is God's. He doesn't talk about money. The money issue was theirs, not his. So now I'm going to make us uncomfortable. About the 19th century, you started to see churches all of a sudden stop talking about the tithe. Churches have this thing in our history that everybody should give a tenth of their earnings to God. It's in the Hebrew Bible. Malachi says it. There's a couple other places that you, you read this thing about you giving your tenth to God. And it's not just a tenth. You see, it's the first tenth. And it's emphasized so much in the Torah that Part of what happens is be, between the argument between Cain and Abel is it's the nature of how you give this first tenth. If you give it with, you know, expectations of God, it's not really worthy of God's gift. You know what I'm saying? So in this moment, the Hebrew Bible talks about the tenth where Jesus, now I'm going to make you uncomfortable, folks, talks more about giving than he talks about anything else. Almost all of his parables talk about giving. Think about it. The prodigal son story. The son comes up to him and says, I'd like to have my inheritance. The dad gives it to him freely. He goes off and what's he do? He squanders it. But the prodigal son story wasn't about the money. It was about when once the brother had squandered all of his wealth, he still was welcomed with open arms into his home. Then there's the story of the widow's mite, which we always use, right? 
The story is that she gives all that she can, and everybody's making fun of her. Because these people, if you go to the temple, it's obviously not there anymore, but there's these pillars that were all the way around, and they have these brass tubes that you would drop your offering in. And what was happening is the Pharisees and all these rich people would take all of their coins, and I like to think they had washers because these people were just punks. But they would take these things, and they would throw them into the, the, the brass cup, and as it would go down, you would hear all of this money jingle as it hit to the money, the, the box that the money held uh, all the offerings, right? And then the widow, she comes forward and she gives the two coins and she drops it in and just does it. You can see the imagery, right? And they are all making fun of her and he says, how dare you? But she just gave us more than any of you could have ever given. Jesus doesn't play games with this. You see, Jesus talks about giving more then he talks about anything else. But he's not talking just about money. He's also talking about your time. Now this is where it gets us uncomfortable. I remember it very clearly in the 90s. When I first started out in, in ministry, I remember it as if it happened yesterday. We were walking along and everything was normal. Sound familiar? On Sunday mornings, you could not buy groceries. Do you remember that? Very rarely could you go out to eat because restaurants sent their employees home. Very rarely did you ever have the opportunity to go do anything except for what? Spend time together at church and with your family. And it was as if overnight, there was this switch that flipped that said, Oh, we can schedule sporting events on Sunday mornings. Let's schedule school events on Sunday mornings. And just to make sure that the kids show up, we'll penalize them for missing a game or an event. And we can say we're going to drop their grade so that they can come participate in our programs. And what did the church do? We sat idly by. And overnight, it was as if everything decided that we held sacred for thousands of years just kind of went away with the dishwater. We threw it away just as easy, you see. All of a sudden, the things that we give of our time became less important to God, but more important to the things of the world. The other thing that happened, I remember, is, again, it just happened as if it was yesterday. I remember it very clearly that all of a sudden, out of nowhere in the 90s, I was hired as this youth person. And then all of a sudden, everyone that came into the room didn't have to do anything anymore. Why? Because they hired me to do it for them. See, it was easier to throw money at it than to actually physically come and help me do it. It was terrifying. And it never changed. It, it, it just got progressively worse. To the point where we got to a point as a society that the only thing that we do as Christians are moments of service that only take a few minutes of our time. You, you do realize that, right? I only have an hour, so what can I do in an hour? 
Well, the church then had to accommodate and say, well, we need you for this hour to do this, 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 and this. And they say, thank you very much. And exactly one hour, they leave. That's not giving to God what is God's. And we struggle. We struggle with this all the time. The church today even struggles with how do we get people volunteering to participate in the work of the ministry. And it's not just done by the clergy. And it's not just done by the church staff. You are the church, right? And in the Christian church, we believe in the, you are all preachers. There's a phrase for it, I, I don't know. You are, you're all saints in the work of the ministry. But we'll side table that for a second. Then there's the money. I remember very clearly growing up with this understanding of tithing, but I didn't understand it. <laughs> All I knew is, is that if my mom and dad gave me a dollar, I knew 10 cents of it had to go in the offering tray, and my mom and dad watched. And they would make sure that we had our 90 cents in our pocket and the 10 cents went into the tray. And if we didn't do it, it's not that my mom and dad were scary, but my mom, she might be four foot 11 and a half, but she has a nine foot long arm. You know, and I, I mean, it was nothing for us to do something wrong on Sunday. And that nine and a half foot long arm could stretch across the sanctuary and thump us upside the head to make sure that we put our offering in the tray. You know what I'm saying? Especially when she gave us that dollar to put in the tray. My brothers and I had already spent that dollar in our minds. And I remember it very clearly as I became an adult. All of a sudden, tithing and giving changed. Because I had nothing. As an adult, I worked really hard. I worked several jobs at one time, and I could barely pay my bills. And the only thing I could think of is this, God, I know I've got to give back to you, so I'm going to give you my whole being. And I did it. And I continue to do it. And yes, God has changed our life exponentially and we find ourselves in a position in our life where we're able to give more than we've ever been able to give before. Because that phrase that Jesus uses, we give with the right hand so that our left hand doesn't know how much we give, really meant something. And it meant something to Carmen and I as we were building our relationship together. You see, I think part of the problem that we face in our world is, is that we focus in so much on everything that the world tells us is important that we forget what it really is. Yes, the world is on fire. Yeah, they're, they're, they're crazy people out there. And I don't mean that in a derogatory sense. I mean, it's just as if they cannot connect the dots in any way, shape, or form. And yes, you have to pay your taxes because it gives us the ability to do the things that we do in our communities. And yet, yet we, we forget why Jesus makes this statement. You give to God what is God's. Why is it so important that Jesus has to say that to these Pharisees and these Herodians? Because God outgives us every single time. Every single time. 
I'm not here to sit there and stand in front of you and tell you, listen, if you give $10, God's going to give you 1000 I, I don't necessarily believe that. I know there are ministers that do, and I know people do, but that's not how I've always experienced it. What I do know is, is that I can never outgive God. I just can't. And if I can't outgive God, then, then that means God has blessed me and, or given me the opportunity to bless others. And therefore, I should be giving all time. But again, when I say giving, our brain automatically thinks finances. Some of you might be able to do that. Where God has blessed you with finances abundantly and you have the ability to give. But maybe physically you're not able to do some of the work that we do. Same, maybe some of you have been given the gift of service, but maybe not necessarily all the finances. And you are to give what God has given you. You cannot outgive God. So what's the point? The first question encounter raises is that of intention. So what is this story about? While many sermons and commentary and discussions jump in at the level of Jesus' response, the, pro the story was probably originally not so much about God and politics as much as it was about deception. We forget that this story began with somebody trying to trick Jesus. Matthew sets up the story so that the subterfuge, the deception and affectation creates the backdrop for the murderous attempts to quiet Jesus, at the very least to expose him as an imposter. Jesus, what should we pay our taxes? See, it comes off as a, a very small, infinitesimally small question but infinitesimally large answer. Matthew's a genius in the way that he writes Jesus' response. I don't think it's a coincidence that shortly after this passage of Scripture, as we continue reading in Matthew 22, that the, the Sadducees come and ask him, well, what's the greatest commandment? Well, that's simple too. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul. And, as if that wasn't enough, Jesus says, and the second one is this, to love your neighbor as yourself. Why does Jesus do this? Well, for one, to set the story straight. And two, to help us remember why we do the things that we do. The things that we do do not glorify the world. They glorify God. We help people because we've been called to help people, because we've been given the blessings to help people. We honor God by worship because we've been given the ability and the opportunity to worship God and to say thank you for the gifts that God has given to us. And ultimately... At the end of the day, we've been called to be stewards of God's love and to distribute it to the entire world. 
by, yes, our finances, and yes, our time. I mean, you are children of God, are you not? And you have been given the Ruach of God to do the will and the work of God. Have you not? So let us go, the ambassadors of God's love into the world. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.